to movie movie uh, i am one of your hosts garrett smith and my name is dan scully your other host <laughs> <laughs> excellent we got that worked out yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh if it wasn't clear from the opening of the episode uh we are in in honor of the uh, the late great harold ramus today we are talking about ghostbusters mm, uh, oh man this yes. is a movie that whether you want to admit it or not, played a large part in your childhood if you're my age, plus or minus five years. <laughs> Which, uh, you should probably say what your age is if uh, that wants I'm 29, to be. 29, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's it's thereabouts. Yes. In that, in, and even even beyond that, you know, oh, yeah. there, there are older generations and younger generations that still hear about it because oh, yeah. it's not just a movie. It's a cultural phenomenon yeah. in, in some strange way. And you know what, Dan? It's not just a movie. It's a movie movie. Oh, shit. How did I not see that coming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here on I Like the Movie Movie, we uh, we talk about movies that we consider movie movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that to us is generally something, a story that can only be told on the big screen. A story that uses the medium of movies to its, of film to its fullest potential yes. to create an experience that is unique. Yes. Uh, and I cannot think of a movie that better fits that than Ghostbusters. This is for uh, to to set the stage. This is my favorite movie ever made. Uh, I've, I go on record saying that all the time. I've got a ghost trap tattooed to my left arm. It is my favorite movie ever made. It is endlessly funny, wildly creative, great performances. Uh, really fun, great practical effects. It's all the things that I love about movies in one really excellent, fun movie. And uh, it's it's like a kitchen sink style movie. Oh, like yeah. they really throw everything into it, but it doesn't seem excessive at all. No. It fits into this this very strange and unique world that is completely fantastical, but somehow anchored in a very real reality. Yes. When I picture the the iconography of New York in the eighties. You see that in so many movies from, you know, like Jason Takes Manhattan to, uh, you know, something like a Ghostbusters. Jason Takes Manhattan? Yes. Do you remember how New York was depicted in that movie? I've, is Jason Takes Manhattan a Friday the 13th movie? Yes. It's the eighth one. It's literally called Jason Takes Manhattan? Absolutely. And it's famous for the scene where he walks into Times Square and, like, turns towards the camera. And it's even more famous for the fact that the whole movie takes place on a boat. And then the last 20 minutes are just, like, kind of in Manhattan. <laughs> It's it's one of the worst of the series, but it's it's iconic. But when you think of New York in the eighties, or even when you think of like uh, Ninja Turtles, yes, you know when yes. did that come out? Eighty nine, ninety, the early nineties, like ninety one. Yeah, ninety ninety one area in there, and like New York was this. It had a certain element to it that we don't see anymore. Yes, New York now is a little more touristy, and yes. then we have like the trendy boroughs and stuff. But New York used to be this big looming presence. And it's a very real presence in Ghostbusters, which still manages to turn it into a fun house of clashing dimensions and puppet ghosts. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. True. It is definitely its own character in the movie, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Uh, the city of New York, is especially at the end, becomes a character that the Ghostbusters are a part of and need to play to and against. Absolutely. Uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I, I don't even know where to start talking about Ghostbusters. We uh, This is one of the first ones we didn't do a lot of pre-discussion on because we've realized... Well, let's talk about what Ghostbusters has become. Yes. Because my first introduction as a child to Ghostbusters was the cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so there was action figures and all of that. Yep. And so as a kid... 
these just existed alongside the movie. You yeah. didn't think of it in terms of like they they came after the movie or anything right. like that. It was just oh, Ghostbusters stuff. Yeah, I had all the toys. I used to have the firehouse. Uh-huh. It had a grate in the top that you could pour the slime that you could buy no through way. it, and it would drip down. <laughs> it was great. They they were glorified Transformers because you'd yeah. buy like a an oh, action figure that's an old lady, but then you pop her open and she has a giant scary mouth and her eyes bug out. And yeah. you know it was just fun toys that really don't have any connection but the branding to it. Right. But it's such a solid brand because of how iconic this really strange movie is. Because yeah. I remember being a kid, my parents renting that movie, mm-hmm. and I wasn't allowed to watch it with them because I was three, and it yeah. would scare me. And it did scare me. I oh, mean, yeah. it's it's a scary movie for a kid, but when you look at it as, as an adult, you go, oh, this is just some SNL and SCTV alums yep. throwing themselves into a strange comedy. And it, we were talking as we were watching it, nothing about Ghostbusters should work. Mm-mm. Like, it really should be a movie that just falls apart really quickly. It's so high concept that it shouldn't have any sort of relatability. No. And it wins because it's very relatable. Like, these characters are, and I've compared it to This is the End in the Past Uh as being like our modern day Ghostbusters. And I think it's very much that. It was a bunch of comics that everyone knows, that everyone likes, and everyone gets. And we throw them into, it's a, it's a riff off of the old Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, sure. Meet the Wolfman, where it's just, let's take these funny guys, give them new, new names, and pit them against a monster. Yeah, yeah. The day we have Harold and Kumar versus Freddy <laughs> would be, like, why, why not have them cross over That's with some true. monsters? I think it would be fantastic. Yeah. So this is of that ilk, but, but it really is its own thing. It's, oh, yeah. It's a fantasy movie at the end of it. It really is. Uh, and they, they do this, like, I think the way that it works and why it works was sort of the other thing that we were very focused on when we were watching it is the relationship between the three main characters mm-hmm. they're so grounded as just schlubs these mm. like schmucky uh blue collar dudes that seem like they were maybe in a frat together mm. and just never left that frat they stayed in the same school and just started doing research there and became quote-unquote doctors and scientists oh, at yeah. the school that but they're they still college to. buddies yeah exactly and what's weird is they never really established uh, explicitly what their past is no. together but you do get a feel for it and almost immediately yes and partially based on the rapport that these actors already had working together yep. but mostly based on the fact that this script is great oh it's an incredible um, they script. really they they i don't even say they touch on their history they really don't but the no. characters they play speak to mm-hmm. certain i don't even want to say tropes because they're not they're they're just relatable things although there is uh it's always sunny made it famous yes. the the brains the looks and the wild card yep. and it, and it fits that mm-hmm. And, and and it does, but uh, you know the brains, the looks, and the wild card are a product of something. Yes, you know that became a template, mm-hmm. but it's clear that Bill Murray, uh, he was a. Or, well, let's go by character names. Peter yeah. Venkman, that's yes. Bill Murray. You know he was the he was the the kind of cocky guy. He yeah. was the one that got the girls, and he's smooth. And yeah. but he's he's a bastard like that. Yeah. Egon, uh, the late Her- late great Harold Ramis, yes. he's the nerd, yes. and he sticks to that. Yeah. And Ray is the schlubby fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is even before. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was fat. He was just <laughs> comparably fat compared yeah. to the other ones. He's the the round the round head. Well, I think the way uh, <laughs> Aykroyd actually does describe them that way, he says it's the the brain, the heart, and the and the the soul. I mm. think of the Ghostbusters, and so like uh, like Ray is like the the heart of the Ghostbusters. You know, mm. he just he loves it. Mm. Uh, Egon's the brain, and then uh, Venkman is the soul of the Ghostbusters. He's the mouthpiece, He's and the... Winston's the token black guy. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, they uh, yeah, they really do not do. 
the black character much service in this movie. You know, though he doesn't play as the black guy. Though. That's true, and so that's the thing because I don't think he really means to be that. No, he's just the regular guy that knows nothing about paranormal and just needs a job. Yeah, and but that also becomes beneficial because he will get the job done because he needs to get paid, <laughs> and it, that's and that's that's an interesting level to to kind of ground the the concept a little bit yeah and there is no real audience surrogate no um the the city is almost the audience yes. surrogate we're learning about this phenomenon as they are the whole team really is because they're you know yeah. they throw their their jargon around which we should talk oh, about man. the jargon i love but, the jargon. Uh, winston does kind of serve as like i'm not passionate about ghosts yeah. if i was there i'd be like oh if i'm getting paid i'll do it you yeah. know he fits that you know the the point that there's no audience surrogate though uh, b- brings up something that I do think is interesting that we talked about, which is this movie is so earnest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there doesn't there is no audience surrogate because there doesn't need to be. We don't need somebody that's sort of like sarcastically interested in yeah. it or needs to comment. Well, there's the on character how weird that we it explain it to. Yeah, like the other characters will explain it to Harry Potter, yeah. and then he knows what the you know he's into the world now. Right. There's no initiation. No. The world just exists. Exactly. It's very yeah. lived in, and that uh, that is part of what grounds it and makes it work mm. uh even their relationship the reason you don't need to tell us about their history is because their relationship seems so lived in already mm-hmm. it's such a it, from the moment they start interacting it's like oh these guys have been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. uh and we, we know that right away uh and it, it really works to to make the characters feel like your your buddies almost mm-hmm. you know they they feel like a group of friends you want to be a part of absolutely or that maybe you already are a part of you will follow them to the yeah. top of the building to yes. to fight Zool. Yes. Whereas like I would never do that. Right. But I want to see them do that. You yes. know, they're 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 the team that you like. And it's and and uh we, we strayed away from it, but you started to say how the um you know it's very earnest. Yeah. There's yeah. not an ounce of cynicism no, in it. No. You know, there's there's no point where you know there's nobody that that acts as the uh fake yeah, you know yeah. kind of thing. Everyone just commits. And so whereas the special effects are dated, which is not to say ineffective, no. they're aided by the fact that they are so minimal. Yep. Um, when Sigourney Weaver's character gets possessed, there's no, you know, there's no prosthetics on her face. Like when when you close your eyes and picture, you know, person possessed by a demon, they're all just makeup to make them look like Linda Blair and The Exorcist. Yes. It's exactly that. This is the same exact situation. Even with reference to her hovering over the uh-huh. bed, is definitely a visual reference to to that. Uh, I, I want to say trope. It's too strong, but you know, yeah. as The Exorcist established that, yeah. so possessed people do. But Sigourney Weaver's makeup is just. Some makeup. It's yeah. just a lady's makeup, but um, it works because she commits to this possession. Oh, yeah. She doesn't have to hide behind the makeup. Her and performance it, is like particularly good in really that Really good. Uh, I, throughout the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she really... When she reluctantly starts to fall for Venkman, yes. it is believable. Yeah. Whereas like most women would be like, get the fuck out of my apartment. Uh-huh. I hired you to do a ghost job and you're yeah. going to try and have sex with me in the day of? Yeah. Like, it's a little a little over the top, but she makes it believable. Yep. And kudos to him, too. I mean, you oh, fall in yeah. love with him. He's, he's adorable. He is adorable. <laughs> we, we did talk about how frustrating, annoying he would probably be in, in real life. But they, they, I don't know how the. If he was your enemy. Yeah, if he was your enemy. Yeah. If he's your friend, like, you get the feeling that, like, you put up with him, you enjoy it, and he's got your back. Yeah, yeah. As your enemy, it's like you just want to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the relationship between the three of them because I think yeah. that is one of the most interesting things about the movie. The way, again, the way in the script, they don't actually have to tell us much, but we know very quickly we have a very clear picture 
of who these guys are, how they interact with each other, and how they relate to each other. So this is sort of my, this is what I've gathered from watching this movie many times. I get the impression they all went to college together, that uh, Pete and Ray were really tight, like really good friends. But Pete kind of drags Ray down a little bit, but Mm. Ray doesn't really realize it because he's so excited to have a cool friend like Pete. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, He's definitely the the yes man to, to Pete. Uh, and then Egon is like the one who's smarter than that and knows better, knows that Pete is not like a great influence and doesn't even really like Pete. And Pete knows that Egon's that way, so Pete doesn't really like Egon. He thinks he's just a nerd that he can just shit on all the time. Mm. But he is so, him and Ray are so attached at the hip because of their same, they have the same fascinations mm. uh, in what they're interested in. The three of them are almost reluctantly this 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 trio, this band of friends. Absolutely, and and Ray doesn't even notice the no. the almost tension he's between. Totally oblivious um, to it. Yeah, he's oblivious to it because he's the guy who doesn't really think on that level. He's just happy that he's got his group oh, yeah. of friends. He doesn't think about any of the the petty bullshit. He yeah. just is in along for the ride. Oh yeah, and uh, and super enthused. But at the same time. There is a love between uh, Egon and Ray oh, and yeah. uh, uh, Peter. Yes. Um, for example, when they're first renting the firehouse, uh-huh. and it's a shithole. Oh yeah. And they know it, and you can tell they do want it. Yep. But they're really trying to drive the price down. Oh yeah. And the two Whenever of them it comes hustle. To money scheming. They they're can do it together. Hustling people in the movie, and they play it back and forth so well, yeah. and it's it's almost a distilled version of good cop bad cop. Yes. Yes. And they really do play that. You know, it's uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character says to Bill Murray at one point, and it's dead on she says you're not like other scientists you're not you, you don't seem like a scientist yeah. you seem like a game show host uh-huh. and he really is is that and when him and egon work together and he sells it yes and egon provides the information yep. they they play off of each other and they know that and so even though they don't uh like this is gonna sound strange but uh you know on reddit they do ask me anything yeah uh, one of the Mythbusters did it. Okay. And they asked him about their relationship. And he said, honestly, we don't even really like each other that yeah. much. But we work so well together and we have such a great time on the show. Yeah. And uh, then they related it to like Penn and Teller. Uh-huh. They're professionals, but like off stage, they don't really hang out. Right, like they're right. friends and all. So like these guys are professional acquaintances that are friends, but you know, they, they don't mix. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's such a real thing. Exactly. And, and it makes that believable. Yeah. It, you know? it feels like real, like, uh, so like the initial concept for Ghost. Ghostbusters. Uh, I I know too much about this movie. The initial concept for Ghostbusters was like a forty-page treatment that Aykroyd wrote himself. Mm. He's like, I don't know if you know much about him. He's in insane. His personal life. He's like nuts. Yeah. And he really believes in a lot of this stuff. So that was his interest in this to begin with. Is he's actually interested in this stuff and wanted to make a movie about it. Uh, and so he wrote this like forty-page treatment uh, that took place in the future. Uh, and in the future. Every city has a squad of Ghostbusters. They're like the modern equivalent of firefighters. In the future, something has happened and and some other realm has crossed over with ours and everybody has ghost problems. So every city has a squad of Ghostbusters. So his story was about the supremely blue-collar, unionized... Uh, Ghostbusters that don't give a shit about their job anymore. That was the initial concept of this. Now, that was too expensive. Uh, the studios in 84 were like, hey, that sounds great, but it would cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's 1984. We don't spend that kind of money on movies. So uh, he sort of reworked it and retooled it to take place now with the first squad of Ghostbusters, but he gets to have his cake and eat it too because he depicts them in a way where they do still hate their job, kind of. Mm. They actually love it, but like they're the they're sort of the disinterested blue collar workers, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, which was sort of his initial concept for it, and he gets to keep it 
by uh, establishing them as like just kind of shitty at life, mm-hmm. not like shitty at their job, just like they're not very good at anything, you mm-hmm. know. And and I think that's where the the character of New York City even comes yes. in because they're they're New Yorkers. Yeah, that's just like the the feel that you get. Yeah, yeah. Now I have I pulled up the the Wikipedia here, and I think this is kind of interesting because we're talking about the cast. The original idea was going to be uh, Dan Aykroyd, uh, John Belushi, uh-huh. uh, John Candy, yep. and Eddie Murphy. Yep. And that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to place who would be who. Well, I can tell you that that's a little bit inaccurate because I'll tell you who John Candy was actually supposed to play. Okay. Louis Tully. Oh, okay. Oh, you know what? That I could see that Which just is, with a different kind of feel. But it's totally yeah. crazy if you think about it because who ended up playing him is Rick Moranis, one of the mm. tiniest men of all time. Oh, yeah. And John Candy is a huge huge man in personality mm. uh and uh, uh Aykroyd has this funny i'm thinking of his character though in vacation sure which is somewhat you know meek and, yeah. and tully like but yeah. it, it's different moranis has a certain pathos to it that just is the best well, <laughs> it, it, he he is one of my favorite parts of the movie lewis tully is like such a great character moranis mm. really just nails it uh and Aykroyd has this funny story that they offered the part to candy they were like you know we want you to be in this and this is the part we want you to play and uh, he was like, okay. And he read the script and he came back to him a week later and he was like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, mm. I don't know how to make this character funny. I don't, I don't think I get it. And he, and Acro was like, no, come on, you can do this. Like we wrote it for you. I know you'd be able to pull this off. And he was like, I don't know, unless I can do a German accent, I really don't think I'm going to be able to pull this off. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So he turned he it down. He basically turned it down. Yeah. Because it says, yeah, it says he, he didn't do it and Eddie Murphy couldn't commit. Right. But then the question is, who would Eddie Murphy play? Like, do we do we do the obvious and make him Winston? But right. for me, I would picture him a being Bankman. the a Venkman. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he was a, the smooth talker kind yeah. of thing. I, I feel like that would fit him. Well, I think in the initial concept, it was a three-man squad, not a four-man squad. Mm. So it's possible that maybe Venkman and the token black guy <laughs> were supposed to be the same character initially. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. And that would actually make sense too to have him be the one that doesn't really know anything about you know but it it is clear though that Venkman does know about this stuff he just doesn't care he just has the knowledge and doesn't really care to use it there is a there's a beautiful moment we missed it we were chatting there's a there's a beautiful moment in the movie where it's the only time that Venkman is not like a crazy fast talking asshole and it's the only moment that like humanizes him and it, it de- the movie definitely needs this moment so that he does become a character we can latch on to mm. when they get fired uh the the it, early on in the movie they lose their job i i'm talking as if people haven't seen ghostbusters yeah so if you haven't seen ghostbusters yeah. like don't listen to our show anymore you, yeah, exactly. you asshole so that when they when they get fired from their job at the school uh the dean who's firing them he's like uh He's like, oh, we're firing you. We're getting rid of everything. And Vankman like doesn't have a witty retort. He he just goes, okay, why? And the guy goes, you know, uh, I forget exactly what he says, but he says like, you know, your methods are sloppy. Uh, you don't really turn in any good results. You are a bad scientist. And Vankman literally just looks at him and goes, okay, I understand. <laughs> but like, not sarcastic. It's the only humanizing moment wow. for him in the whole movie. He like. That insult actually like rocks him a little bit, yeah, even yeah. though and he's unshakable. He would say that about movie. himself. Mm-hmm. He would definitely say that about himself. Oh, absolutely! But it really rocks him, you know. Well, it's clear he doesn't care about results at all. No, he really, he literally only cares about getting laid. Yep. Because even in his introductory scene, which yes. is everyone knows this, when oh, he's yeah. doing these psychic cards, yep. where he's looking at cards with symbols, and he has a nice hot young woman yep. and a neurotic little man guessing, and if they get it wrong, if like predicting what's on the other side of the card he gets to shock them but he hasn't worked out that uh 
whenever the guy guesses wrong, he shocks him. And whenever the girl guesses wrong, he just doesn't reveal the card. Yep. And this is where it being a movie movie starts to come into play yes, because yes. just to, be, the only way it works is in a movie because we know what's on the card because yep. we see it just because that's where the camera's positioned. But it, it it it's a setup that would naturally be funny, but then you grease the wheels of that comedy machine with Bill Murray's face oh, yeah. and with the reactions of these two character actors that aren't anybody, yep. but sell the scene. And once again, super commit to it. Yeah. And so not only is it funny... Not only does it get a feel for, you know, what Bill Murray's job is, but it also yeah. tells you who he is. Yes. And we don't even realize we're getting that information because we're laughing. Yep. It's it's brilliant. Oh, it, yeah. It's really brilliant. And so his character introduction, it's just a smart way to, to get us on his side. Oh, yeah. Because he's doing something really despicable, both yeah. in a just a humanity sense and yep. in a scientific <laughs> yes. method sense, yes. just so he can get some pussy. Yep. But it's done so well that you're just like, oh, he's that guy. He's so goddamn charming. <laughs> yeah, what a charmer. Yeah. Shocking that poor man. Yeah. Uh, and there, the the script is full of stuff like that. And it's mm. why I think it's such a great script. Like I, I pointed out to you early in the movie, when uh, the first time we see all three of them together when they get to the library, uh, one, the introduction to Egon is like amazing to me. It's so funny to me. Peter drops a book really hard on a desk that uh, Egon is underneath with a little stethoscope, like trying to listen for ghosts, ghosts yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. And he, Science. He, he, exactly. And that is, they do that a lot in the movie. That's the jargon thing. They just kind of oh, just yeah. at a certain point are just going like, oh, it's science. Yeah, then, yeah. You know, reroute, it's the reroute the encryptors, but yeah, it's all, exactly. it's all, you know, the protoplasmic yeah. rays of blah, blah, blah. And it's, but it doesn't matter. That's something that Ackroyd yeah. does better than oh. everybody. And he's clearly he, making it up off the top of his head. Oh, yeah. He's just, just throwing out all yeah. these, these dumb pseudoscience words. Yep. But because he commits to it, yep. you just go along and be like, yeah, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. They're Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that introduction, Egon, he like slams a book on the table. He sneaks and up behind him. He sneaks up goes behind to him. Scare him yeah. And he tries to scare him. And you can see Egon gets this intrigued look on his face like, oh, something's happening. Yeah. And then he goes, Egon, and slams a book down on the table. And Egon's reaction, he just stands up and goes, oh, you're here. Because yeah. <laughs> he's like so used to that stuff, which again, it just establishes so in their his own history world. and their relationship. Absolutely. Uh, but you get this great line that like totally establishes the way these three men interact with each other. Uh, when uh, Peter introduces them to like the head librarian or whatever, who's going to show them around and show them where this uh, happening happened in the basement. Uh, and uh, he goes, you know, the guy comes up and he's like, hey, I'm so-and-so from the library. And Peter goes, oh, I'm Dr. Vankman. This is Dr. Stance. Egon. <laughs> he just leaves the doctor part out for Egon. It totally establishes... Just to fuck this. with him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it just establishes the dynamic of these three guys. Absolutely. That's it, great writing. You know, it's a good joke, but it also... It, it gives us a lot about these guys in a very little minuscule amount of time. And it says something about Egon, too, because even that, he just has a look no, that's like that's exactly what what he's going to do you yep. know he's used to it and and it's interesting too because they're they're uh you know bill murray's character is definitely about the image yes he's loving the fact that once the ghostbusters take off that it's an image thing yes. whereas egon's is all about doing proper science oh yeah and Ray's just about, you know, he loves it. Yeah. He's so interested in it. And so those three distinct point of views really, you know, make make it a believable business even. Yes, you yes. Know? Uh, and it allows the the three of them to just sort like something we were talking about earlier, and th this was something uh, just in. Uh, but by the way, uh, part of the reason we are doing this is because Harold Ramis uh, passed today. Actually, mm. uh, we we were going to do a different movie, and uh, upon him passing, we decided this it was time to do Ghostbusters. This was the mm. time because uh, he. It, it, uh, 
this movie means a lot to me, and he he wrote this script with Aykroyd, uh, and he he's written scripts and directed a lot of movies that are are very meaningful to all of us, mm. our entire generation. He wrote Animal House. Oh yeah, he wrote the movie that established what comedy became, and still to this day is kind of teetering around always. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, so anyway, I don't even remember what the point I was making. I got so into that Harold Ramis thing. Well, to, I mean, to to if we're gonna be on Harold Ramis, oh. this is something that I said before is that. One of the classic pieces of 80s comedy, we, we look at that as a genre. Now, of course, it can be distilled into to subgenres, but there was always the underdog versus jock. Yeah. Now, maybe not in the most literal sense, but the underdog versus jock archetype is something that exists, and Harold Ramis is a progenitor of that, mm-hmm. and that's something that is indelible in film mm-hmm. and in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always, re- I mean, since David and Goliath, the underdogs always existed, but the whole you know, nerdy, gross, kind of schlubby, unlikely hero triumphing over the established, you know, blonde quarterback status quo. It's neat because it's a movie that in a weird way does speak to the average person. And because of that, that archetype. And Harold Ramis is is one of the main people who established that. Animal House, Caddyshack. Everything like that. A ton of it. Meatballs. Like a ton of the movies that Mm. they were involved with are all about that. Stripes. Stripes Stripes. is great. Yeah. Yeah. And this definitely, Ghostbusters has that to it. Yes. But when you think about any 80s comedy has that. And it's his fault, yeah, and yeah. so and it and it lasts to this day. I mean, there, there's no American Pie right. without a Harold Ramis. Right, right. Heck, Eugene Levy's an SCTV alone. Right. But you know, it's that exists because of because of him. Oh, and yeah. so, even if you don't know his name or know who he is, he has affected your life and a lot of the movies that you've seen oh, in yeah. your life and will see in the future. It's mm-hmm. it's unreal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just remember the point I was going to make about him. Somebody w- I was reading online, somebody saying this about Ghostbusters specifically, is one of the the, the great things that he gives us uh, in this movie is the ultimate straight man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Murray's character does not work, and neither does Dan Aykroyd's without Harold Ramis' portrayal of the mm. ultimate straight man. That's true, because uh, Dan Aykroyd isn't straight man enough. No. Like, he's kind of a straight man right. to... Uh, he to, gets uh, to walk both lines a exactly. little bit. Exactly. He's yeah. in the middle. Like, he could be a straight man to Venkman, yep. but then Egon's a straight man to both of them. Exactly. You know, and it's that's and I never thought about that until you brought it up. That's yeah. interesting. That's not easy to do. No, it's not at all. Mm. I was actually uh, watching it this time was the first time I really paid attention for uh, how often... There are good jokes with Egon, mm. but he is really not making the joke. Mm. Like, it's rare that he actually gets to make the joke, and he really commits to being funny without being the one that makes the joke. Mm. Uh, and it works. It, ju- it fucking works the whole time. It's great. Uh, you know, like he's got that line like, oh, I collect spores, molds, and fungus, which is a punchline. You know what I mean? Mm. But then he's got a lot of other stuff where it's just a facial reaction. Even that line, though, he doesn't deliver it no, exactly, as like, like a, a response to Because no. what, what cues it? Uh, uh, she goes, uh, She goes. I think I think reading's a fabulous way to spend your time. Yeah. <laughs> what are your hobbies? I mean, yeah, and he says it very earnestly. Yeah. And he doesn't say it as an extreme counterpoint to no. what, what Janine suggested. No, that's his legitimate answer. That's to his her legit question. answer. So we find the humor in it, yeah. but within beyond the lens, right. there's no humor there. And, right. and to be able to say an obvious punchline as if it's not yeah. thusly hammering at home even more isn't easy. Right. Um, I always thought about, um, on Arrested Development, yeah. Jason Bateman's character, he's this, uh, the strangest straight man you'll ever get because he's the one normal guy in Arrested Development yeah. surrounded by maniacs, pure yeah, maniacs. Yeah. And so he's the straight man that he's witty 
you know, he makes he takes digs at them, yeah. and it's funny because they're too stupid to get it. Right. But he constantly has to be the ultimate straight man, so yeah. he does a lot of work with his face, mm-hmm. where it's not as extreme as an eye roll, right? But it's a full embodiment, and that is definitely a derivative of a performance like Harold Ramis's and Ghostbusters. Oh, for sure. He never once goes like, ugh, right? Or rolls his eyes or stuff, but yeah. he embodies this character that that is that mm-hmm. response without actually be without making that response. Yeah. And so he really, really has to just commit to the straight mm-hmm. man. It's it's phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh like there's that great scene where uh <laughs> Peter pulls a, a candy bar out of his pocket and he goes, Egon, you you've you've earned this. Yeah. And puts it in his hand and Egon just stands there stone cold and takes it. Well I believe he goes to take it, but he doesn't even grab at it, right. but uh, Venkman lifts it up, like pulls it away from yeah. him, but he doesn't even grab for it for no. the pull away to work. He almost expects it, like yep. just I'm gonna wait for him to put yeah. the candy bar in my hand. Yeah, you know, and, and that that joke only works with him being that much of a straight man. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, it has to have that wall for him to come up against for that to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, oh man. Well, let's talk movie. about the anti-straight man. Yes. Perhaps the goofiest character in the yes. whole movie is definitely Lewis Tully. Yes. Dude's a fucking maniac. So funny. And to to think of that as as a potential John Candy role is weird because it would have been different. Yeah. Because he does he does a lot that I don't think could have been written. No, no, definitely um, not. Rick Moranis is known for playing the little squirrely guy. Yeah. But I don't think he's ever done the same one twice. No. Because if we look at something like Spaceballs, mm-hmm. the joke is that he's small and squirrely, right. but he plays a, a supposedly menacing you know, presence. Yeah. Whereas in this one, the joke isn't that he's small and squirrely. The joke is that he's just weird. Yeah. And he uses his small squirreliness to really create this... This this character that is no way real. No. But like I, I said, I know somebody who's just like him as much yeah. as a real person could be, so it works. And he's he's the closest character I'd think to have having any sort of shtick. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't feel like shtick because right. he definitely exists in this world. Oh, he grounds it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's again, it's it's part of uh, uh, I think the script being being so tight and so well written that mm. it works. You get the repeated gag of him always popping out of his apartment door as soon as Dana walks by. Mm. So again, you get it's not explained, but you get this impression of like he's literally listening for this woman to come yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. She's the light of his life. Yeah. Uh, and and I think because you have that establishing kind of like. He's a little bit of a creep, but it's very earnest. Again, mm. and he's super confident up. for someone who's like your normal nerd is like shy. Yeah, he's super confident. Oh yeah, and super with everybody he's with. Uh, he's constantly dispensing money saving tips yes. because he's an accountant. Oh, and just boom, 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 and he knows everything about everybody and their jobs and what they're doing because mm-hmm. that's just his life. Well, and you said something that is is really funny because it's definitely true about one scene. I know particularly the party scene is all him improvising mm-hmm. that none of that is scripted that's just him walking around just making shit up off the top of his head so when he's like talking about the brie being at room temperature mm-hmm. and the uh the the salmon that he flew in from nova scotia and like all oh, that's so he's just making shit up as he walks oh, yeah. around this apartment and I, one thing that, that i thought was really funny that i never really picked up on before or at least i haven't thought about in in ages when he's at the party and uh, the one girl who, by 80s definition, is mm-hmm. like the hot bimbo girl, she's about to leave. Yeah. And then he just real cheesily is like, uh, I bet if we start dancing, everyone else will start dancing. Yeah. And she's like, okay. Yeah. And it goes to show, like, I bet he does okay with the ladies. Yeah. Because this girl's so into him, and he's dancing like a complete <laughs> yeah. idiot. And she's just into it. Now, of course, rabid 
monster dogs show up and ruin yeah. it. But it's funny because he's blind to it because yes. he's so madly in love with, yes. with Dana. Yeah. And it's just clear that he could just be slaying this chick. Yeah. It's it's funny. And so he's not your nerd. He almost reminds me of a, like a, in Superbad, a, a McLovin. Oh, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. such a, a cocky nerd. Like yeah. you would look at him and be like, what a fucking dweeb. But yeah. he's so baller. Yeah. And this guy's not necessarily baller. This is decades before baller was a thing. <laughs> but he's definitely not your standard nerd. He, yeah. He's got, he's got something. Yeah. He, uh, he is such a funny character, man. I remember. <laughs> he's so funny. Uh, w- one the of, physical humor too. I oh. mean, he really embodies a full body character, mm-hmm. a full tiny body <laughs> character. <laughs> he, uh, I, I remember one of the the sort of my reintroductions to Ghost because I Ghostbusters was a big part of my childhood, mm. and then I didn't see it for years. Didn't even think about it for years. And then uh, I, w- I was sitting around a fire late at night with a bunch of my friends, uh, very stoned, and one of them started doing the dialogue from the first time we meet Lewis, mm. when he pops out into the hallway, and he's like, oh, Dana, it's you. And then he's talking about the TV, you know, he climbs yeah, yeah. out on the ledge and all that. So he's doing that dialogue, my friend is, but he's leaving long pauses between the dialogue. So he's going like, oh, Dana, it's you. Oh, yeah, I was just at... Oh, yeah, you shouldn't leave your TV on. It creeped down the hall, phone the manager. He's leaving these long pauses, and I'm, like, looking around at everybody else, and my friend leans in and goes, oh, yeah, he's he's not doing Dana's parts. He's leaving yeah. out. <laughs> he's just doing yeah. good. That's amazing that he has that memorized. Yeah, exactly. That's a great... Well, let's let's try to remember what he says. Oh, my God. He says, ridiculous. your TV was on. Um, well, that's, you shouldn't that, leave your TV on that, while you're away. That's the end of the conversation, actually. Okay. He starts by doing the workout thing. Oh, okay, yeah, because he's, he's in the, the tiny sweatpants, yeah. and he's, oh, I got to go shower. <laughs> yeah. I gotta have a shower. But I just like how his thing was, and he thinks he's being like a helpful neighbor and like yeah. a heroic guy because he climbed out on the ledge, yeah. which I believe is the twenty-second floor. Yes, he climbed out on the ledge in order to get through her window to turn off the yes. TV, but couldn't get in, so he climbed back in and turned his TV up yeah. so that if anybody calls in to complain, he'll get blamed yes. and not her. Yeah, and he thinks that this is some like super gallant yeah. thing to do, and it's it's, I guess it's nice, but it's totally <laughs> creepy. Yeah. But what I love is that Sigourney Weaver's character just blows him off like he really is harmless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe she, she's got some issues with like uh, allowing really, really psychopathic yeah. dudes near her. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, You can tell it's a movie written by men. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about this, and tell me if I'm off base, because yeah. I, I don't know if this is a, a real thing to say, but I was thinking about it watching the movie. One of the things that was in this movie and is definitely characteristic to it and movies of its time, you said it was obviously written by men. Yeah. There's a certain view of how uh, women are in society in these movies. And I think about that is so much less now. Yes. Now, I compare that movie to something like This is the End. Mm-hmm. And This is the End is all dick and balls jokes. Oh, yeah. Um the only time that there's really anything that would even seemingly seem derogatory towards women is when they're all talking over if someone were to rape Hermione, right. who yeah. would do it? Yeah. And it's really an empowering moment for her because yeah. you know she comes out and totally just owns them. So I, I wonder if the the shift in in the way women are portrayed in movies have also caused it to be more of just like, ah, fuck it, dick and balls, dick and balls. You're <laughs> gay, dude. You're gay. Like a super, super just male dominated. Uh, I don't want to say discriminatory towards males because it's not. We right. all fart and dick and balls yeah, and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. And I just wonder if maybe that has something to do with the fact that that the the male dominated comedy now is more just that kind of stuff as opposed to you know, these broads. Yeah, yeah, because there is really a little bit of that. Yeah, that is very interesting. I will say uh, I did feel the same way you did about this is the end until a good friend of ours 
brought up a very important point to me about that movie, which is because I was like, oh, I actually thought that that I hate calling it a rape scene because not nobody gets raped, but that that joke, that rape joke, I was like, that was so funny, I couldn't believe it was funny, and it came out in the middle of this controversy around rape jokes, and mm. they they made one that was like. You know, it was it was very funny, and it wasn't actually that gross. And you know, the woman gets to be very empowered. Yeah, at the the end. joke was on the rapist, right? Yeah. The, the woman gets to be very empowered at the end. Uh, and uh, he goes, "Well, you know, I would agree with you if she wasn't literally the only female in the movie. That's true. She is the only woman in that movie, and the only thing she's being given to do is be the object of these men." Well, then counterpoint to that, though. Um, Jonah Hill gets raped. That's true. <laughs> he gets raped by the devil. And so there is that. That's no, but true. that is true. She is the only uh, girl in the movie. And actually, the only other girl that I can think of is um, uh, the girl from The Office. Mindy Kaling. Mindy. And all she wants to do is fuck uh, uh, Michael Sarah, yeah. who's just this awful dude. Yeah. So, yeah, he does make a valid point. Yeah, yeah. But um, either way, I think generally nowadays... Yes. You know, the, the joke isn't, you, you know, ah, these these yeah. these broads, yeah. let the men do the work. Right. That's not there. And I wonder if as a result now we're all, check out my boner, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. I, it's a <laughs> great, that's a great trade. Yeah. You know, not that I was giving something up by allowing women to be mainstream. That's awful. But I mean, the fact that we are now progress means that things like that change. And, yeah. I, I, I hope we see more progress on that front. Absolutely. I feel like, I feel like we are, but the progress we've made now is we're just starting to see like some female-led comedy comedies which is great mm. i still feel like we're in sort of a vacuum of like male and female comedies they exist but there's not a lot of them mm-hmm. where they're like both equally represented and equally that's true funny. there's not one where there's like it's all either all male or all female yeah. it's either a bridesmaids or the world's end right. you know there's yeah. no middle ground yeah i'm trying to think of one now i wonder if there is one that i'm sure there are like i mm. uh I, I was about to bring up like maybe forgetting sarah marshall but even that the females are not quite as prominent as the male characters yeah, that's true um, and it's based it's about the the male's relationship yeah. you know back to together. those women yeah, yeah. um there's got to be a couple examples i'm sure that really, there once are. again i just say the best example i can think of is something like arrested development yeah you know but that's not a movie Re- yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe one maybe one day hopefully uh, one day but it's uh, uh there's there's got to be one but i, I really yeah. can't think of one i would love to see that yeah because like i thought bridesmaids was great oh it was awesome not gonna lie i know that i'm in the minority at least around around my friends i thought the heat was very funny oh, i didn't see it it's not great but yeah. it's very funny and it's it's two very funny women working yeah. together and it's not funny in a way that it's like oh it's funny because they're women it's just funny you yeah know? yeah yeah and like that's why bridesmaids was such a success yes. was because it's just funny yeah it wasn't you didn't go in and get a chick yeah. flick it was just a funny movie mm-hmm. but you're right i wonder when we're going to get that cross yeah yeah where you really get just as strong female comedic performances as you do male comedic performances and they're, mm. they both take center stage actually I'm trying to, the only this is going to sound weird but the only movie I think that that I can think of recently that is somewhat a comedy that has equal part male and female re- uh, representation is Cabin in the Woods yeah but then at the same time the joke is still on all of them yeah yeah, you know, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, i'm thinking something like maybe safety not guaranteed and that's not even like an outright comedy necessarily i didn't see that one um i think there's some like i feel like the duplass brothers make movies that have a much more of a female presence and voice to them mm. um but they're also not as um broad of comedies oh, as, yeah. as what we're talking well, they're not about. a ghostbusters yeah you know exactly. where it's a big main thing yeah yeah well let's talk about that oh yeah ghostbusters is huge it was huge huge and it really shouldn't be no it makes no sense no. that it's as good as it is or as loved as it is no not at all but it totally makes sense because yeah. it's that fucking good oh yeah and it's you know one of my favorite things about it is it's this big high concept sci-fi piece 
but it feels so small and personal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the characters are, are so uh, relatable. It feels very uh, personal and small. I don't know how to describe mm. that, even though it is huge and it's this well, big Well, it's a small cast concept. of characters generally. Yeah. I mean, there is the, the cheat where there's the cast of New York, mm-hmm. but for the most part, the story we're following is very localized. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not any extraneous characters that exist besides, like, you know, the, the guys in jail with them. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, which are all characters, but, you know, it's such a boisterous small cast that... Uh, I always said one of the things that I love about listening to podcasts or what makes a good podcast is you go, I want to be on on that conversation. Yeah. Whether they're saying something interesting, you want to be there and you feel like you want to be hanging out with the Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. And it's because it's so small, you get a feel for all of them. Yeah. But much like our last episode, Die Hard, most of the characters have a pretty complete story. Yes. You know, in some way. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say the only thing that I find disappointing from a story standpoint in Ghostbusters is it's clear that at one point in the script there was supposed to be some sort of Egon Janine relationship mm. that clearly just got like lost in editing and trying to find the movie and figure mm. out what the story was being told. Because there's a couple of scenes where it's like kind of out of place the way they interact with each other because there's no relationship that ever really develops between the two of them. Over I kind of like the movie. how it's minimal though. Yeah, because there's there's moments where she like clings to Egon, mm-hmm. and you can tell he's into it, but his his mind is clearly saying business first, pleasure yeah, yeah. later. So he's kind of uh, not off put by her, but uh, he he doesn't he's not a fan of PDA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then also it rung true of. You know, I've I've had it where like you you're working at a job and it's clear two people are fucking. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like it, it's never said, but you know it's just there. Yeah. I think that it it had that feel to it, and whether I'm projecting that on there or not, I don't yeah. know. But I forgive it because it feels real in that way. It certainly. But bad. you are right. I'm sure there was more I'm in an earlier version. Yeah. There must have been some actual relationship developed there, and that uh, carried over into the cartoon. In the yeah. cartoon, I think they were explicitly dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, because mm. I know Lewis and her end up dating in the second movie mm-hmm. uh, when she has like crazy hair. Like that's one of the weirdest. Well, the changes second movie I believe came after the cartoon, so ah, some of the imagery was enforced by it. Yeah, because in the cartoon she was that much she was like much kookier looking character. Yeah, she looked like a cartoon. Yeah, uh. interesting. Yeah, I, I, every time I watch the second one, I'm like, what the fuck? Because she's so hot in the first one, mm-hmm. I think. And then the second one, she just looks like a lunatic. I, I haven't seen the second one. I, I, I won't judge whether she was hot or not. Yeah. I like lunatics. Yeah. <laughs> but um, especially redheads. Yeah. And uh, do are the women who still talk like this out yeah. there, what is that accent? And can more women talk like that? I think it's very attractive. <laughs> I think reading is a fabulous way to spend your time. Stop it. Stop it. You're getting me all turned on over here. I will say this, uh, listeners. If you ever get a chance to listen to the commentary track, don't. Just li- watch the movie next to Garrett because he knows more trivia. <laughs> about the movie yeah. and interesting stuff while you're watching it yeah. it was awesome it was like pop-up video you'd be yeah. like wait check out this line now yeah. this means this yeah. it was like right on yeah so if you get a chance to watch it with garrett at your side please I've do seen it so many fucking times like I, I i always point out weird little stuff to people in this movie because there's to me the, one well, there was jokes that i never got that you pointed out yes. that i was like oh that was a joke that is one of my yeah, favorite things so about good. ghostbusters there every line is a punchline mm-hmm. there's not a single line of dialogue in this movie that is not meant to be a punchline mm. every single line of dialogue is meant to be funny and that adds to rewatchability yes you know that definitely adds a lot to of it. it only becomes funny once you've seen it a bunch of times and mm. you really do kind of understand the relationships between the characters and more importantly there's a lot of visual gags that happen 
not like off camera, but just like they're not, they don't make a big deal out of them. Mm. One of my favorite uh, moments is when they capture Slimer in the uh, in the hotel or whatever it is, and they come out and they're explaining to the guy like, "Oh, it's a free form repeater or whatever," and uh, he, and Venkman's like, "All right, now let's talk about pricing." Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you watch before he gets that part of the conversation, he's writing something on a notepad and showing it to Egon. So he's clearly like basically a pro- he's probably just approximating numbers. Yeah. Being like, what do you think? Is this should we go for this? How mm. big are we gonna go? How crazy are we gonna go? And then the guy looks over and he starts talking about price. So he's like, uh, Peter's like, all right. So for uh, capturing the, uh, the the entity and, and getting it in the box here, uh, we're gonna have to charge you. And then you see his eyes slowly look over at Egon, and Egon slyly puts four fingers up against yeah. his face <laughs> and just wraps them a little bit on his cheek. And uh, and Peter goes, four big ones. It's gonna be four thousand dollars. And then for uh, we're doing a special today on containment of the ghost over a long period. And uh, then Egon holds one finger up to his nose. Yeah. And he goes, well, that's only gonna cost you one thousand. It's this great little physical moment of comedy. And once again, they're hustling. Yes, you know, exactly. That is something oh, that yes. they do together yep. well. You know, they know how to do that. Yeah. And that's funny because you would... The eyes are definitely on Bill Murray. Yes, exactly. But when you're watching it a second time and you don't have to focus yes. that hard, it's an even bigger gag. You're yes. right. It, yeah. it adds to it. Uh, and there's a t- I was pointing out to Dan, there's a lot of, and this is something that Edgar Wright has made very famous and popular, but there's a lot of punchlines that come before their setups mm-hmm. in this movie, which adds to rewatchability. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when... Um, uh, Ray pulls up in the car before they've painted it or anything. It's this, this new car that he's bought, and it's this piece of shit. It's know? a hearse. It's, it's a hearse. It's, it's a, a it's like a falling apart hearse. And he drives up with it, and he gets out of the car, and he goes, everyone can relax. I found the car. <laughs> As if it was, you know what I mean? No one's asking about a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is that's kind of funny in its own. But then he follows that up by going, uh, yeah, she's in great shape. She just needs uh, shocks, brakes, uh, new uh, steering fluid, uh, new uh, oil, probably a couple of probably going to need a couple of tail lights, a uh, new rear mirror. We're going to like he just goes through this litany yeah, of things that are wrong. It with gets this worse car. and worse it by gets the worse second. Worse and worse and worse. And then Pete and then Pete just goes, "How much you pay for it?" He goes, "Only eight grand." And, uh, <laughs> and so like then that line of him going, hey, "Everybody can relax. We found the car." Yeah, is like so much funnier when you realize like he's about to get, tell you it's a huge pile of shit. Yeah, it's that he the paid worst too much money thing. for. Yeah, but I mean that's also in Ray's character. He yes. sees that car as not a problem at all. No, because even when they when they're trying to hustle. Uh, the the firehouse yes. rental oh, and the they're best. like really trying to hustle it because yeah. it's a shitty place yeah. he comes sliding down the fire pole and he's like a kid in a candy shop like we gotta we should sleep here tonight let's oh, yeah. get our things and, do it. and he's super excited so he, he you know he, it plays that joke and that works so well because of again Egon's straight man character because mm. that comes immediately after uh, Pete's <laughs> Pete goes uh he goes, uh, I don't know. I think it's a little pricey for a unique fixer-upper. What do you think, Egon? And Egon goes, uh, the, uh, the, the metalwork is all fatigued. The, the building is about to fall apart. I think it should be condemned. Yeah. It's in a, practically in a demilitarized zone. It, the wiring is completely substandard for our needs. So he goes and like says some really horrible shit in front of the real estate agent oh, about yeah. this place. And then from up the fire pole, you hear... Hey, does this pole still work? Yeah, <laughs> and he jumps right on it, regardless. Right <laughs> on it comes straight down. It goes. This place is great. And what's interesting is that fire pole really. Yeah, have you guys tried the pole? Yeah. That was really only in that scene, the fire yeah. pole. But it's, that definitely became the part montage. of the, uh, the suiting up montage. In the montage, yeah. that game definitely part of the iconography oh, of yes. uh, every playset. That yep. the toy p- uh, playset had the the pole in it. Yep. And I remember, I mean, even in the cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, their getting ready montage was always the pole. Yeah. 
Yeah. Always the pole. And it was a thing. And that's one of those moments that uh, I don't think it was definitely marketed towards kids. Right. But that's one of those moments that as a kid, you know, sure, I wanted to fight ghosts, but I really wanted to slide down that oh, pole because yeah. Ray did it. Yeah. And so it's weird that that it's very natural that that became part of the children's yes. uh, the children's brand of uh of Ghostbusters. Yeah. But that just goes to show how accessible that movie is because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily marketed towards adults or children. Right. But there's a moment that probably unexpected really resonated with kids. Oh, yeah. I love fire poles to this day. <laughs> and um, even now when I see a pole, stripper pole in my head comes second. Fire pole yeah. comes first. And it's probably because of Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I was so scared of some of the things in that movie as a oh, kid. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'd like to point out, like, for sure, some of them just, like, are not scary as an adult. Mm. But there's some stuff that still works, I think I the, think they, they capture a good horror tone in a oh, lot yeah. of the things. You know, uh, it's the the specifically the practical effects, the ones that are truly practical, are legitimately unsettling. Absolutely. Uh, in the beginning, in the library, where the uh, the the what are the cards called? The the oh the Dewey Decimal yeah, System the Dewey cards. Decimal uh, cards. Uh, the I don't card know, catalog. The card catalog. Boom. All the cards Libraries. Are just flying out. Yeah. You know, that's a very unsettling thing mm-hmm. to see, and it's just an easy practical effect. There's literally, apparently, there's literally that's a, another funny background thing. It's just a couple of crew members sitting behind those things with little tubes, mm. and they're just blowing air as hard as they can at those cards. Oh yeah. So they're all flying out. It's the easiest thing in the world. Nowadays, it would have been completely digitized oh, yeah. and in glorious 3D. Yep. And the, it would have uh, seemed fake. The eggs. Oh, the eggs is one of the most effective effects. Great, that's amazing. All they had to do was make a, a hot plate a look hot like counter. a look like a counter. Yeah, yeah, it's all and and that's so good though, and it it speaks to a haunting. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, the thing that got me as a kid, and it's funny because it affected my life for a long time. Um, when Sigourney Weaver eventually gets possessed, yes. she sits in her chair, yes. and these giant monster yes. arms rip out of the chair and start grabbing at her. Yes. And they're clearly just giant rubber yes. you know, arms that someone has their hand in, like a glove. And it's grabbing at her and holding her in a chair. And as a little kid, that scared the fuck out oh, of yeah. me. I don't think I sat in a chair for like <laughs> six months because I thought that was going to happen. Which is weird because chairs, I'll go on record, great. <laughs> I use chairs most of the day, every day. I love chairs. They keep me comfortable when I'm not standing. But for like six months, no chairs. Yeah. But you know what ruined it for me? Very shortly after I saw Ghostbusters, true story, I saw Tremors. Uh-huh. And Tremors made me afraid to stand yeah. because they come out of the ground. So now I'm all I about chairs back again. Back down to chairs. Back down to chairs. But it, it's... It's weird that that is definitely a moment that's meant to be scary, but it's also meant to be fantastical and goofy. Oh, yeah. But as a kid, horrifying. Oh, yeah. Horrifying. I, I still think that that moment in particular is one of the more cr- that's creepy moments. That's the most horror moment, I would yeah, say, yeah. yeah. Uh, but even the, like, the librarian at the beginning scared the hell out of oh, me. Yeah. Which, but when you look at it now, like the face, it has like big cartoon yeah. character teeth. It's yeah. silly, googly eyes. Yep. You know, it's... It's weird. It's it's almost obvious that it became a cartoon show. And that's part Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why this movie shouldn't work though. Like horror comedy is such a weird thing to begin with mm. that like it, it is natural though. It happens a lot. Oh, I it mean, does. But I think at this point, we, it's not like this was the first horror comedy, mm. but at this point we hadn't had a lot of intent like Two things. One, we hadn't had a lot of intentional horror comedies. I think there were certainly a lot of horror movies that just happened to be very funny. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of the this. humor from horror comedies come from reaction to the horror in yes. a humorous way. This is definitely a comedy first. Yes. And then it just happens to take place in a horror sci-fi world. Exactly. You know, and that's new, I think. Which to, is a pretty yeah. new idea to this movie, I think. Uh, and more importantly, what's weird about it is that to- the, the, the way they do that tone in this movie 
is to have them they're sort of separate but they're not they're also happening at the same time mm. like the horror elements seem to take place outside of the comedy mm. uh yet they're not there is a silliness to them that is always apparent mm. uh throughout the entire movie so that because like i can't well, the ghosts never really feel that threatening right but they don't seem fake like it's right. clearly a problem so i think I, that could that says to the commitment um oh absolutely. on everybody's part i mean if if you look at a goofy looking ghost and then you mug like ooh, what a stupid ghost yeah it's it's different. Right. They play it up like this is what ghosts are like in this world. Yep. You know, and it's it's a very. Uh... I have to say, the fact that I'm having such a hard time explaining what the tone of this movie is mm. is only more evidence that it shouldn't work. And it's a very unique tone too. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's ever been replicated. No. Even in the second one, Mm-mm. I mean, it, they use the same same things, but uh, you know, the same techniques to yeah. to produce the effects and all, but. Uh, the second one, of course, suffers from sequelitis. It's not yep. a bad sequel, yeah. but it does go for a slightly different kind of darker tone. Yes. Whereas this one, it's it's not necessarily light, but it's a very colorful uh-huh. and uh, you know just a. Uh, th- there's a lot of variety to it yeah. as well as a consistency. Yes. And it's uh it, it's a it sticks. I mean, even when I think of my fond memories of the cartoon, mm-hmm. they're all informed by that tone of the movie. It's oh, it's yeah. interesting. But it is truly unique. It's and you're right. It it lends the fact it shouldn't work. It, it really it's it a really complete nightmare. That, yeah, that that tone should not work. The concept really shouldn't work because it's even if you. I was thinking about it as we were watching it. If you think about the plot line of this movie, it's pretty loose. Mm. You know, like it, I I could describe it to you pretty easily. It's like these guys, uh, you know, they're they're trying to come up with a way to contain ghosts. They figure it out, open a business to do that. Uh, and then in the process, meet a woman who is about to have like an actual very scary uh, supernatural interaction with with a, a ghost, essentially mm. someone from another dimension. Uh, that builds to this sort of epic conclusion of them having to save New York City from this big bad ghost. That's essentially the plot of the movie. But think about that. That's barely a plot line. Oh yeah. I didn't really give you a whole lot of details about who they are or how they became to be who they are or why they're doing what they do. Like a lot of that stuff is left by the wayside and just explained by they're a bunch of excitable guys and they're fun to be around. Mm-hmm. I it, it is unreal that any of it works. Well, this goes back to a conversation we've had about every movie we've ever yeah. talked about on and off the show is that plot's cool. Yeah. But until you have good characters in the plot, we don't care what happens. Yes. And so in something like this, the the plot um, there's a difference between plot and story. Yes, and this has a great story. Yes, this has great characters. Yes. there's really not a lot of plot. No. It's just a playground for them to play in. Yeah, and and even for the filmmakers to play in. Uh, yep. We were talking about how by the end, like when I think of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, uh-huh. it is in my head as it's 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 a myth. It's it's huge. Yeah, because I grew up with that. But if I had never grown up with that iconography, if I was just some guy in his 30s in 1982 and I sat down to watch this movie, when that Stay Puff Marshmallow Man sh- showed up, it would have blown my mind. Mm-hmm. That is huge. Mm-hmm. That is the craziest, most batshit idea imaginable. And it works. Oh, yeah. And it, it didn't just work. It inserted itself into the cultural lexicon forever. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. But it, it's it's awesome. It's I'm crazy. So it shouldn't work. It, it shouldn't work at all. That should not work. It's so stupid. Yeah. But it's really funny. It's great. And there there's uh, one of the biggest... Uh, separations from from something like a uh, Edgar Wright movie mm-hmm. and something like a uh, you know like a scary movie for mm-hmm. is that in an Edgar Wright movie in a Ghostbusters which I think is as he's probably very you know 
informed by them is they're sure. goofy, but it's not like goofy just you know seeing what sticks. Right. It's actually has some weight to it. Now, mm-hmm. granted, you see like a scary movie and they're funny. I'm not sure. going to knock it at all. But it's really just let's just throw every joke out yeah. there. Where this, it definitely builds to this moment of the yes. Stay Puft things that by the time it happens. You don't have time to think, oh, that's ridiculous, because right. you're going, oh, what are they going to do? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird that you would go there rather yeah. than, come on. Instead, <laughs> you're like, what are they going to do? Cross yeah. the beams? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's wild. And and so we always talk about something feeling earned. Yes. Like that is a payment that, that oh. is unpayable, and yes. they did it and paid off the, the Marshmallow Man. Think about this, too. This movie has lines that are, are punchlines. They are jokes, and they are laugh-out-loud punchlines. Such as this, Ray, when someone asks you if you are a god, you say yes. Awesome. How is that a joke? Yeah. In what other, like, how did they do this? Yeah, yeah How did exactly. they make a movie where that Cut line that line out and put it anywhere else and it makes no sense. an amazing punchline, like yeah. an incredible joke. What is this movie? It's like alchemy. It doesn't make any sense mm. that they made all of these weird things work and work so well. It works supremely well. Yeah. You're right, and that there there are so many punchlines that yeah. like, and and I will say to this day, I still make references to the keymaster, yes, the gatekeeper. Yes. When I was a little kid, I loved the oh, I feel funky yeah. line, yeah. and that's barely anything. Oh, yeah. And um, oh, I was looking uh, earlier movie, when I was looking up stuff about the based movie on delivery alone. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Bill Murray's just so a god. Funky. When um the uh, I got slimed. Mm-hmm. That is in the American Film Institute's 100 Best Movie Lines of All Time. Wow. And you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Because like, the slime was such a thing. I had cans of oh, fake yeah. slime that you could buy as toys. Yep. Uh, sl- the, the green ghost in the movie became Slimer, Slimer. the slimy character that they love who that helps them out. They made Ecto Cooler after. Oh. Like, there was everything. I looked up a recipe for Ecto Cooler yeah. online. You can still make it. You can't Whoa. buy it, but yeah. you can make it. I think we should do it. We should do it. Yeah, it that would be good. Great. Green slime. It's funny. As a kid, I called it slime. Slimer juice. I didn't call it Ecto Cooler. All right, I'm going to nerd out here. Yes, I'm going to show it. you a piece of, of trivia that I didn't seek out and learn. It's something that life taught me. Uh-huh. And I'm going to, I'm either going to turn myself into the biggest nerd ever or right. you're going to bow down before me for knowing this. The cartoon of Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. Peter Venkman is voiced by a famous voice actor named Lorenzo Music. Uh-huh. Now, Lorenzo Music, he's no longer with us, yep. but he did a lot of voices. Mm-hmm. His most famous voice was the voice of Garfield the Cat on the Garfield cartoon show. Whoa. Who plays Garfield the Cat's voice in the Holy Garfield movies? Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Holy shit. And it's weird because they do sound somewhat alike. Yeah. I don't know if that's why they picked Bill Murray yeah. or not. But it's just wild that that, that happened. Crazy. But it was just something that, as a kid, I remember watching Garfield and being like, "Hey, this is the that's the same voice as Peter on a uh, Ghostbusters." Yeah. And then I remembered seeing the name Lorenzo Music, and that's yeah. such a great name; it yes, stuck with yeah. me. And then the rest is history. Wow, Garfield and that's funny. Garfield. What is it? Tale of Two Kitties or something? I don't know. Kitties. Something yep. like that yep. happened and. Mm-hmm. And Bill Murray. Yeah. And Bill Murray's still happening. Oh, he's great. Out of all the people in Ghostbusters, I mean, it was guaranteed he was always going to be famous. He's just the best. He's so funny. But Bill Murray now is just living his life like a famous man who's famous for being funny because he just does weird shit. Yeah. Knowing that the internet will talk about it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Did did you see his his recent... He was on a late night show, and I don't even remember which one. Uh, It was just like a couple weeks ago. 
he just flew in in a Peter Pan costume. They put him on. They put him on wires, and he sang a Peter Pan song on wires in a Peter Pan costume. And then they just lowered him into the chair, and he just sat for an interview in this Peter Pan costume. That's incredible. For no reason at all. Because he's Bill Murray. Yeah. That's as good a reason as yep. you need to do anything. Yep. There is um. What's the? St- There's actually a blog that's like Bill Murray's stories, mm-hmm. and they just search for these things, yeah. and they're all real things. But yeah. the best one, and people have probably heard it, was some guy was at a restaurant, and Bill Murray just walked up, took one of his fries, and ate it, and then leaned in and said, "No one's ever gonna believe you," <laughs> and then left. And he's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's exactly. totally right. But at the same time, like you can have all my fries, Bill Murray, please. Yeah, yeah. But he's known for popping up in like karaoke booths yeah, and just yeah. doing that shit and yep. just being the man. Yeah, he's great. He's Bill fucking he's, Murray. He's the man. He's Bill Groundhog Day <laughs> Ghost Busting <laughs> Ass Murray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm ready to wrap it on Ghostbusters. I don't. I don't have a lot to say other than how much I fucking love this movie. I, Absolutely. I, I, I don't know. Even how to describe what it is exactly, I, I think it's one of the funniest movies ever made. It's one of my favorite scripts ever written, I think. It's such a wildly creative idea that should not work, and it works on every level. And it's, it's infinitely rewatchable. Yes. I mean, I think that's the one thing that makes a movie last. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of great movies that, that you know you never watch again, even never though they're great. Again. But the all-timers are the ones that oh, look, it's on TV. And then yeah. two hours later, you're like, I just watched Ghostbusters again with yeah. commercials. Yeah. And it's just, it is, it, it lasts. And and even even nowadays, you see kids dressed as Ghostbusters oh, yeah. on Halloween, and they're 25 years younger than the movie. Yep. They're 15 years removed from the cartoon mm-hmm. show or any of the toys, but it's still there. Oh, yeah. And, and even now watching it, I mean, last time I saw this was maybe five years ago. Yeah. And... Before that, I'd seen it 30 times, and it was so enjoyable. Yeah. Still laughing at lines that I've heard 100 times yeah. and laughing at new lines that I never saw before. Yep. It's 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 awesome, yeah. and it's a movie movie. It's Oh, it's a total movie movie. Mm. There's a lot of show-don't-tell in this. Mm. Really, really strong characters. Uh, it, it, it's, it's incredible. It, and it's fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. It's, it just gives me a warm, joyous feeling inside. Well, you could sit and watch it like we did, pouring yeah. over every detail, or you could sit back with your friends, get hammered, and watch it. Yeah. You could do you can really do anything it's it's universally accessible yeah you know and, and this is the kind of movie that god forbid if i ever procreate yeah when my kids are like eight nine years old i want to show it to them and be like and it they're gonna love it and yeah. i'm gonna love that they love it yeah it's it's awesome it's an all-timer absolutely mm. uh and, and uh, uh i guess um you know again part of the reason we wanted to do this was uh because of harold ramus's passing so uh I guess I just want to say one more time that uh, he will be missed. He was a, a huge influence on. Uh, I mean, Dan and I are both comedians, so it's. Uh, I, I think for us, it's a, a a big, not a personal loss, I guess, but uh, what he did with his career certainly uh, has opened doors for Dan and I to be able to do what we're trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, these are the people that I looked up as a kid and thought I want to be funny like that. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's. I'm actually trying to look up a negative review of Ghostbusters oh, yes, to see if I can find do. one. But it, it, Harold Ramis is one of those people that not a lot of I mean, a lot of people know his name mm-hmm. if they're seeking out that kind of thing. But you know, I, I would probably talk to my sister. She'd know if I said Egon. Yep. You know, but like she wouldn't know that. But it's it's uh, it, 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 he absolutely influenced everybody in some way, mm-hmm. and that sounds like I'm kissing ass, but I think it's true. You know, so many of his movies have even just a single line mm-hmm. or a single concept mm-hmm. or just a, a single just template that, that he established that still exists to this day. And 
His timing was right for my life. It was the 80s and yep. 90s that I became the most culturally informed, and he was a part of it. Yeah. And it's it's awesome. He, uh, you know, uh, he also, I mean, he made one, what is considered one of probably overall a little more highly regarded than Ghostbusters. He made Groundhog Day. Oh, and Caddyshack. And Caddyshack. Uh, he wrote Animal House. Uh, he, these are lesser for me, but I know they were very popular. He made Analyze This and uh, Analyze That, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, what else was he involved Actually, with? there was a movie that he did very recently, which you can watch on Netflix. Um, I think it's 2005. It's called The Ice Harvest. Oh, yes. Um, that movie didn't get a lot of love. It's kind of like a noir yeah, mystery. Yeah, But it's, it's pretty funny. It's, it's kind of dark. It kind of reminded me of like... Uh, like uh, if the Coens would have made it on on like an off day, yeah. But like, I it's one of those movies that's not perfect, right? But people forget about, it and I think it's really good. Yeah, I, I thought I, I saw it in neat. theaters actually. Um, the uh, and it was because of Ramis, really. I, I I wanted to to see his new movie. I was I was at the right age for that. I was like eighteen at the time, you know. Uh, and I was just getting really interested in in what filmmakers do I really like? Who am I really interested in? Uh, and so I went out of my way to to see that movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, he's also been in a lot of movies that uh, I feel like people that are maybe not familiar with him by name would know. Uh, Orange County, he has a great role. He, he was fantastic. He's in great in that. Uh, he's in Knocked Up. He plays uh, uh, Seth Rogen's dad. And that was a great, that was actually, he, that really was like kind of a touching performance. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And that bridges the gap to uh, this is the end in a way. Absolutely. It well, goes to show how, you know, I'm sure the, the Apatow crew is very much influenced. Oh, by absolutely. And I, I was going to say it really bridges the gap just between uh, R-rated comedy in the late 70s and early 80s and what has been a big return to R-rated comedy in the 2000s. Absolutely. So many comedies were were neutered in the yep. in the 90s because there was a backlash like, "Oh, but South Park's evil." So we yeah. got, you know, like that kind of American Pie is evil and all yep. that. One thing I do want to talk about before we finish on the movie, uh, just because he's he's a recurring villain, William Atherton, yes! the the asshole from Die Hard, is yes. also the asshole in Ghostbusters, oh, and he's great which did it. feature a one line cameo from Reginald Vell Johnson, Indeed. which I'd like Indeed. to think is the uh, he's just playing the exact same character, yeah. <laughs> you know, or he's playing Carl Winslow. I'll take either. Yeah, yeah. But um, William Atherton is the bully, yes. and so to fit into that that subgenre of the nerds versus bullies, it even ends. What happens to the jock at the end of everything? They knock the wedding cake on him, right? Or you know something like that happens in this one. The marshmallow man explodes, and who does most of the sticky, gooey marshmallows fall on? William, William Atherton. Atherton, right as he's saying a, his piece about Ghostbusters are bad. <laughs> he's also awesome. he's, he's got a great uh, uh, like nemesis name. Uh, Walter Peck. Walter Pecker. Yeah. Oh, and that was that. That was it. Once again, the biggest laugh got uh, the dickless joke. Yep. Because uh, I believe it is. Uh, well, they're he, they're talking to the mayor yep. about well, why they shouldn't be in jail yep. and should be allowed to to yep. stop the ghosts. And Pecker, <laughs> Peck is saying, you know, now they're evil and we save the environment. And um, so uh, I'm gonna let you do it because you're gonna be able to do it better than me. Ray, uh, well, because he says it in passing, which is what makes it yeah, work yeah. so well. Ray goes, uh, well, if Dickless over here hadn't shut off the power grid, this wouldn't have happened. And then uh, the the the, oh, yeah, the mayor the goes, mayor is that true? Goes, is this true? And then uh, Peter steps forward and goes, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> and it explodes. <laughs> yeah. And if I was Peck, I would have shot him. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it, but it's, it's hilarious. It's and so we good. talked about how, you know, 
Bill Murray's character would just be awful if you hated him. Oh, yeah. So the only way to make that moment really work is by making Peck so despicable oh, yeah. that even though we can understand his hatred for Bill Murray, we yeah. don't want to understand it because fuck him. Oh, yeah. And so when that happens, like it's it's just a great, like, ooh, a picture of Bill Murray had a posse, they'd all be like, oh, because yeah. you know, it's so it's that biting. Well, and and again, speaking to a great script, uh, they 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 do some things to help help you as an audience member with that. For instance, when Peck comes back with his uh, his court order so that he can actually shut that power grid down, he comes downstairs with an engineer and a cop. And at one point, uh, Vankman is kind of getting in Peck's face, and the cop steps in to push Vankman away. And uh, Peck steps up and goes, uh, uh, keep that man's hands off of me, and you can hit him if you need to, or something like that. He says something like, you know, like, and, and use force if you, if you need to. And the cop turns around and goes, hey, I'll do my job, you do yours, pencil neck. <laughs> so, like, like, but it's, that, is, that is great writing. That is the script helping you as an audience go like, yeah, this guy is that much of a dick. Like I hate him so much. This cop that is that is contractually obligated to do this job with Peck also hates Peck. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was reading this negative I review. Um, I only found two. Two. Um, it's got a ninety-six percent on Rotten yep. Tomatoes, and so uh, this one it's weird. And it pointed out here that it, in nineteen eighty-four it got Oscar nominations for visual effects and best song. Wow. <laughs> but um, so this is a. Wow, the, this the, was a nom- an Oscar-nominated movie. Yes, two wow. Oscar nominations. Well, the, the splat review on, on Rotten Tomatoes is only intermittently impressive, <laughs> says Butthead. But so I'm reading, so the review here, though, this is this is what I think is very funny. The, the very first line of it says, originally conceived as a, and the date on this article is December 31st, 1983. Okay. Um, originally conceived as a John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd vehicle called Ghost Mashers before Belushi's death in 1982, Ghostbusters under producer-director Ivan Reitman makes a fundamental error, featuring a set of top comics but having them often work alone. I can't think of a review that's more off-base than that. Yeah, what the They f- never spend that much time apart, and it, when they do, it's with other mini-ensembles that yeah, they do. They're constantly together. Yeah, and to be, to, like, to be really, really honest, the only time... They are all really apart is in the second act, and the whole point of that second act is to build is to build the the mythology of Ghostbusters, and by that I just mean like the fact that they're becoming this big myth across New York, uh, and also to set up the third act. So the whole idea is we have to be able to get a bunch of information about this Gozer guy through a series of funny scenes because it still needs to be a comedy. So we need to have a we need to have a bunch of comedic things happen that also give us a bunch of information about what the end is going to be. Mm-hmm. We need to know what that third act is that's being set up. And they earn it cuz that third act like we said is oh, batshit. It's great. And it reunites them all again for a huge great batshit third act. Uh, so it actually makes sense that the second act would separate them a little bit because it allows them to tell a lot more story over a short amount of time. You know what I mean? Mhm. Uh, that's actually, a, uh, I would say, a smart thing the script does. Here's an. This is the other negative review. The blurb is, there is more attention to special effects than to humor. And, uh, Whoa. But here's a paragraph that I think is very, very interesting. And once again, I think they're off base. <clears throat> this is from the New York Times. This is June 8th, 1984. Whoa. 
As long as the film retains its playfulness and keeps the stakes low, things are promising. But once the trail leads to the refrigerator of Dana Barrett, which contains a hellhound and a gleaming apocalyptic vision, and then in parentheses, generally you don't see this kind of behavior in a major appliance, Dr. (laughs) Vengman observed, the film gets out of hand. So wait, 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 hold on. I just want to make the point that you said the blurb for this was it treats special effects over humor, but then the writer just used a joke from the movie to be funny. in talking about the yes. special effects. But then here's the best part, because this says exactly what we said. Um, Ivan Reitman, the director, subsequently has to contend with spectacles like a rooftop demonic shrine and a 100-foot-tall marshmallow dressed in a sailor suit marching up Central Park West. Not surprisingly, with all this going on, there is more attention to special effects than to humor. Which is, this person clearly had that, like, this is too much. Yeah. And it, they missed it. Oh, totally. Because Especially because that third act... Is is like wall to wall jokes. Mm-hmm. If you think about that rooftop sequence, everything is a punchline up there. It is wall to wall jokes, and it has to be because it's so weird yeah. that they don't want to give you a second to think no. about like why is it offering them the you know the the ability to choose the form of right. their destroyer. But in the movie, it's like oh that's just the legend. But ha ha, they're saying you know yeah. it, it glosses over it so quick. Oh, absolutely, uh, and, and also that helps to make it uh, work. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep saying these ideas shouldn't work, and they shouldn't, but it works because these guys, like you said, are so earnest. Absolutely. You they're totally I mean? into it. Exactly. They, they want to do it. They're they're not in a movie. Right. And that is, this is one of those movies that nowadays, if it was made, would be constantly filled with not direct winks and nods towards the camera that are like, huh, we're in a pretty weird movie, aren't yeah. we? It, it it would have some of that. Oh, it, it would, would have that aesthetic. Yeah. A lot of things do. Um, it's, it's once again, this sounds awful, but I always say the post nine 11 cynicism that is in movies, um, we're, we're afraid to get lost in the fantasy because we need to have one foot in the real world, which is why, you know, this is why like a, like a John dies at the end. Mm -hmm. That's a movie that maybe in the mid nineties wouldn't have been huge in the theaters, but would have been in the theaters. Oh yeah. Whereas nowadays it's totally on demand. It's a totally great movie. A lot of fun. But, um, it doesn't have that wink and a nod. Like we're in a crazy movie. It, it, you know, it, it just exists. Yeah. And so we, we don't allow that anymore. Yeah. So Ghostbusters will endure for being one of the, the few that has And one of the most pure that. examples. Of absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is another thing that this negative review says that's very funny. There are also far too many loose ends in the screenplay, since few of the supporting characters wind up having much to do with one another. So obviously they missed the whole plot about the two supporting characters becoming the key master yeah. and the gatekeeper yeah. and having a subplot with romance. I was going to say. And even I, that romance gets fulfilled when, even though it's a weird circumstance, Tully does get to make out with Data, yeah. even though they're demons. It's, and the only other side character I can think of is Walter Peck, and he certainly has his own full story arc. And actually right here they use another joke. Uh, but before the situation has a chance to take off, both characters find themselves in the throes of demonic possession. Quote, I think we could get our guest spot on Wild Kingdom, Dr. Venkman says, trying to describe Dana's condition. So basically this review, they could have just wrote, I'm an idiot. Yeah. That's insane. But they also say here, uh, Sigourney Weaver looks great and shows herself to be a willing comedian as well as yes. an excellent foil for Bill Murray. Yes. But this is his movie first and foremost, and it's another of the messy near-miss films in which he seems to specialize. So this wow. is obviously someone who's a little jaded by yeah. the the superstar that Bill Murray was becoming. Yeah. But they are right that Sigourney Weaver, to me, this time around, stole the movie. Hell she was yeah. phenomenal. I agree. Mm. I agree. Uh, and she's like, 
she uh, part of what's so good about her is she's so like understated in the way she plays Dana mm. that you like I you don't even think about her in the movie that much. Like when you think of Ghostbusters, you know Dana's not who comes to mind. Mm. It's the Ghostbusters, and I don't think that's just because it's called Ghostbusters and that's what it's about. She just like plays that character in such like a perfect understated way that uh, she she feels like she really exists in this universe, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, which, going back and watching it now and paying closer attention to that performance, is like, that's amazing that she does that and pulls that off. Oh, absolutely. And think what I, I don't know what, what her filmography was up until that point, right. but in my head, I'm picturing this is just a couple years off of Alien. I think so. Where I think she Alien didn't 79. Really, Alien 79, yes. This yeah. is what, 82, 83? I think it's 83. Yeah, so probably made in 82. Yeah, yeah. And so, at this point, like, we've seen her play an awesome awesome like uh basically male protagonist uh is what excuse me is what um what that character would have been but they gave it to the female which is sigourney weaver and she plays this character that's not your classic and so she gets to use that when she's possessed right but she also shows this willingness to play the the female love interest but not not in an empty way no not at all and so that's actually a very varied performance to go from full-on zool demon and to start as you know just like the the lovable as they say foil to to bill murray and whereas a lot of a lot of actors and actresses can get lost in a role like that where Mm -hmm. they're just a foil she transcends it and and makes it that that is iconic i mean when she answers the door in zool where I can picture that anytime closing my yeah. eyes just because that is that that could be the poster for the movie even, uh-huh. you know it works. Yeah. I I love that line when uh <laughs> when she's got Bill Murray like tangled up in bed and he's like having that argument with himself about mm-hmm. whether he should stay or not and he's got that one and it's just his delivery that makes it work so well. He goes Come on, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's talking he's telling yeah, himself. Yeah. And it, it, that totally fits in his character because yep. it's like it's the it's the, the the college boy that has the girl who's a little too drunk yeah, 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 and yeah. should really just go home yeah, yeah. but uh has had that thought of well yeah, yeah. but he did the right thing he went home he did, yes he shot her with thorazine yeah. <laughs> and went home <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm out, man. Yeah, that, I, that, that was good. That was good I stuff. I fucking love that movie. Uh, well, rest in peace, Mr. Ramis. Yes, we thank you. We yes, honor we you, really and uh, you. we're glad, at least in some way, that if Ghostbusters three happens, you don't have to see it. Yeah, because that would be the worst. Yeah. Uh, what, what do we usually do at the end? What have we uh, been watching? Make a recommendation yeah. of, of something that you've seen. Um, I actually haven't had a chance to watch much because True Detective has been taking over my life. Yeah. Um, I will say if you want to watch, uh, hmm. Oh, you know what? You should watch. Oh, no. I recommended Active Killing another time, didn't I? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, and we talked about that. The last movie I watched, um, you know what? I think it's interesting to bring up. I watched The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Yeah. And this is uh, this was his first movie back after not being in movies. Right. Um, not counting the digital recreation of of young him in Terminator <laughs> Salvation, which showed great depth, which he's not really capable of. No, it was um, it, it's it's not a terribly good movie, but it's interesting because it is a uh, it's from the man who directed the Good, the Bad, and the Weird, mm-hmm. which is you know it's just a funny like oh, it's weird, it's Japanese yeah. or maybe it's Korean, I don't know, Korean, and um, it's Korean, and so this was his American debut, and it's a prime example of what happens. When um, it's like the opposite of what happened with like Stoker. Yeah. This is where producers came in and said, listen, we're going to give you a high paying Hollywood gig, but it's a Schwarzenegger vehicle. So we got to make it right for him. Yeah. And so it's weird because it, it advertised as like a buddy cop with him and Johnny Knoxville. And it's not that at all. Yeah, yeah. They're barely in it. They barely they very rarely share a scene. 
It's very by the books, and it's kind of embarrassing to watch old Arnold because he's not back in shape like he is now. So he's kind of lazy and works his way through it. But for an hour and a half of getting stoned and just watching a movie, you really can't do any any worse. It's a lot of fun. And as a conversation piece to the the idea of of a reboot, we are rebooting Schwarzenegger entirely. It's what it is. What's happening? You know, we reboot series, but he's not really a. He is a series. Arnold Schwarzenegger himself is yeah. a franchise, and that's the first step to his reboot, which is about to explode. So, if, if for any reason, you know, if for no other reason than that, I say give it a shot. And it's yeah. on Netflix, so it's essentially free. Oh, nice. and it's short. It's like an hour thirty. It's yeah. So yeah, the last stand. Check it out if you want, or don't. I don't care. I uh, I don't have anything to watch to recommend because I have been putting all of my free time into playing Minecraft on the PlayStation Three, mm. and I recommend it only because I've only ever played it on an iPad before this tiny little screen. Oh, it's wonderful to play it on a big TV. You should Check build the tower out. from Ghostbusters. Mm. Gonna do it. You should do it. Gonna do it. Build a tower and build a Stay Puffed Man using but, the snow blocks. That would be awesome. You could do it. Someone's probably done it. Yeah. Yeah. But hey. Minecraft's cool. I can I can get into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's just great on a big TV. I mm-hmm. recommend it. But please tell us what you want us to talk about. Yes. Um, if you have any questions about movies or concepts that you want to discuss, introduce them to us. You can contact us on Twitter at yeah. I Like To Movie. It's the number two. I Like To Movie. Yep. Facebook, same thing. Facebook.com slash I Like To Movie. Or cut out the middleman. Hit us up on iTunes. Yes. Give us a review. Yes. Put in some comments. We yes. want to hear what you want, and we want to bring it to you. Yep. Yep. See, did that sound so professional? Bring it to you. We want to bring it to you. No, for real. We yeah. want to. We, we don't want to just talk about the movies no, we, we love. Yes. We want to talk about and we we're... talk about the movies you love. Actually. Exactly. That would be great. We would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I guess you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Uh, I uh, I run a uh, a comedy open mic in Philadelphia every Tuesday night at Medusa Lounge called We Do. Come check that out. Uh, and March fifteenth, uh, you can come see me and some other great local comics perform at. Uh, all bets are off at World Cafe Live. Uh, I think that is all I have plugs wise right now. What do you got? I have. Um, hey, Chris Whitehair just followed. I like to movie movie on Twitter. Yeah, he did. Boom! That's some free press. Um, we've got. Uh, let's see. Well, first you can check me out on Twitter at Dan Scully. You can check out my blog thedanscully.tumblr.com. Um, I do a weekly podcast called Super Crappy Fun Time, which you can check out at supercrappyfuntime.com for a little scoop into the local comedy scene. And then also on March. 29th March 29th come on out to the normal festival yes that's right the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws good buddy of mine an activist extraordinaire NAPO is putting on a show in support of the legalization of marijuana and you love it I love it we all smoke it that's how we watch all these movies (laughs) and um, plus it's a good lineup I'm going to be there Omar Scruggs is going to be there can't be beat and I guarantee you there's just going to be a lot of uh, just ridiculous shit going on yeah. because it's an NAPO sponsored normal event <laughs> so definitely check that out but like I said check us out on iTunes and please subscribe yes uh, and I think that'll do it for this week so we're that'll gonna do, do our patented sign off yes, that we, we fuck go. up every week here we go uh, my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie my name is Dan Scully and I like to movie movie we all know that you like to movie movie and we, we like, like to movie, movie. <laughs> almost we'll get it